if we don't address the workforce issue, it doesn't matter what the Royal Commission tell us we should do, we're not going to do it because we're not going to have the right staff with the right skills. We've got to get more people in the industry with passion and with the right skills and they have to be paid properly. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast. My name's Ash Deneef, and this is part two of our two-part special on the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety in Australia. We're joined today by Sandra Hills, who's currently working as CEO of the care provider Benitas and is a director on the Aged Care Industry Workforce Council, amongst other positions. Sandra has a lot of experience working in both the industry and in government, and she talks a lot about how to affect industry-wide change with and without government support. Again, for our international listeners, this episode is focused on the Australian aged care system, but there's a lot of great information here about industry-wide cooperation and the benefits it can bring. If you haven't already done so, click the subscribe button to be notified of each episode as it's released, and we hope you enjoy part two of our Royal Commission special with Sandra Hills. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today on the program. Great to be here, Ash. Now, can we start with a bit of your background and and the work that you're doing currently? Okay, so I've been around for a long time and I have only ever worked in the health and human services area and I've worked for governments. So I've worked for local government and state government, never for federal government. And I've worked in the third sector or the values-driven sector or whatever you want to call it. That's the only area I've worked in. So I've worked in health. I spent a lot of time in the disability sector. I've managed just about every human services program known to mankind, including children's services. But actually, I found I've always found my calling more in the disability, health, and aged care area. So that's where I've used my space. And I've worked. I've worked my way up, going from being a nurse right through to, you know, management. I was in management very early. I've been a CEO a number of times. My first CEO gig was when I was 25, which is pretty young. Um, managing a disability agency. Wow. And but I've done project work, so I've been quite, you know, I've I've actually looked at broadening my skills rather than just going up the greasy pole and getting there by 35 and going, what am I going to do with myself? Um, so I've done a lot of project work and a lot of some research work. I uh, started out as a nurse, but I worked fairly quickly as a community nurse. I didn't really like the traditional hospital structure. But I've also got a psychology qualification and a research qual and some management calls, including an MBA. So I'm quite broad in my background, which I think is a good thing. So that's me. And I've, I've spent a lot of time investing in volunteering my time with a number of, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who believes that you, you have to contribute to the industry that you're in and you should do that to the best of your ability where you, when you've got the time. So I, I have always put my hand up and really been involved in lots of things. So, you know, at the moment, I'm a director of the Aged Care Industry Workforce Council. I've just finished a stint as a director on Community Chef Board, which was a fantastic opportunity. Um, I'm on the National Aged Care Alliance. I'm also on the on the board of Anglicare Australia. 
had various roles with laser over the years as well. So, yeah, I do lots of other things outside work. And in, oh, when was it, 2017, I was awarded an OAM for my work for older, older Australians, but also for advancing the role of women in the workplace. So Benetess have done a lot of work in that area. Fantastic. That's really comprehensive. Thank you. Can we, we double down here? The Aged Care Industry Workforce Council. What are the what are the aims of the council? Okay, so I just want to say first of all that it really is the first leadership of its kind in Australia. People would know that they would have heard of the the report, A Matter of Care that was commissioned by the government and John Pelaez led that piece of work. And basically the council is responsible for implementing the 14 strategic actions in that report. But not all of those actions they can do themselves because they have to actually work with industry, government, employees, consumers and the unions. And, you know, what what we're really looking at is making sure that we have the suitably skilled staff so that older people can feel safe and confident when they use either residential services or community-based services. So that's really what they're focusing on. But they're also focusing on providing a more sustainable aged care system as well with a much higher focus on the consumer, which is very, you know, really entrenched in the uh, report A Matter of Care. And the vision of the report and also hence the uh, Workforce Council is to develop a world-class workforce that can provide quality and skilled aged care services which meet the needs of older Australians now and into the future. We're really focused on the future. It's industry-led which is unusual. So there are more industry people providers on the council, a council of nine, but there is also a union representative and a consumer representative as well. So we basically have taken those 14 strategic outcomes in the report and there's a lot of detail around what we're hoping to achieve or what needs to be achieved in those 14 outcomes and we have actually turned them into prioritisation action plans and pieces of work and each director has got one or two leads on all of those areas as well as you know they might be on a working group that they're not leading but they're looking at one area and the, and the aim is that we actually utilize our so we have been chosen or have been asked to join based on our contribution and our leadership and the work that we've done in our own in our own organisations. Mm -hmm. So there isn't anyone on there who hasn't shown innovation initiative that this has been, workforce is something that's really key to them. And, of course, when you look at if we don't address the workforce issue, it doesn't matter what the Royal Commission tell us we should do, we're not going to do it because we're not going to have the right the right staff with the right skills. We've got to get more people in the industry with passion and with the right skills and they have to be paid properly. Great. So when you mentioned the... There's a couple of different streams that each board member will take or each director, sorry. You're heading up the leadership program stream, right, which is facilitating closer collaborations with policymakers, which is something you're probably in a great position to do with experience in government and and on the other side. So what does that work look like? So I'll try and keep this simple because there's lots of different things involved. So I've been involved in a couple of things. So the strategic action number two, which is what's called the voluntary industry code of practice, 
This actually is one of the most important pieces of work in the strategic actions and in the John Pelez report because basically what it's saying is that a lot of industries have these voluntary industry codes of practice, but aged care doesn't. So it's actually asking, saying to the providers, you were going to sign up, you, you know, you, you were going to sign up to this on a, in a voluntary capacity and say that you were going to pledge your organisation and your staff and your governance, your board, that you were going to perform in these areas. And the areas, there's seven principles, and they're principles that are actually consistently flow throughout the four strategic actions. So we're talking about things like governance, quality of staff, training, participation and involvement of consumers in decision-making, you know, co-design, you know, quality of care, all those sorts of things. Things. There's nothing there that you'd go, oh, we can't do that, you know, commitment to continuous improvement, best practice and those sorts of things. And so we we asked, LASER did some of the leading aid services Australia as a peak body provided did a lot of the work in this area to start with and then now we've picked it up. If you go on the aged care industry workforce council's website, you'll see that they're asking people to pledge so they're asking providers to pledge and also individuals, individual staff, to actually pledge their commitment. And then what happens is that on your own website, so on the Benetest website, within 12 months we have to develop up a, an action plan as to how we're going to. So we take the seven principles, we list what they are, and we say how we think we're performing in that area where the gaps are and what we're going to do. And then we make that public once we've we've completed that. So this is one of the areas we need to do quite a bit of work on. I know that one of the things that John Pelez found when he started his research to write his report was that people in the community were quite shocked that we didn't have a code of practice. They mm-hmm. thought that, you know, that we would and we and we don't. So so that's one thing that we're that we're looking at. Fantastic. And and speaking quite broadly, a lot of those strategic actions are requiring aged care providers and, and industry actors to take on voluntary change. Is it something that the industry is willing and excited to do, for example, with the voluntary code of conduct? I think the industry is tired, Ash. They're tired. They've just been through, well, particularly those in Victoria, the C19 issue. We had our own challenges. I think it's been well um, recognised that the industry is significantly underfunded. We've got the Royal Commission. We've got a little bit of a snapshot about what that might mean in terms of what the changes might be. But, you know, you are you will have, you know, groups of people, which is, includes Benitaz, who are not superheroes but can see that things have to change and want to participate and shape that and want to be thought leaders in that area. And and that's my job to try and make sure that we do the business as usual, but I don't overburden people. We prioritise what we do. But I also make sure I choose the right people who are excited by that and not people who just come to work to come to work, you know. So you mm. we want to engage people. But there are some companies that are hanging around to see what they might get financially. There will be some changes in terms of closure. Closures of services, sales of services. There will also be those that will just put their head in the sand and say, "I this is too hard," and it's well, it's not my job. Mm. It's not my job. Government should be doing this. I'm not doing this. What's wrong with the system now? There, there's a whole range of people on the spectrum. I think, though, having been around the industry for a while, 
you know, there has been a few people move on. There are some people who are just tired and over it and they saw this as a chance for them to move on. But I think most people are really waiting for the outcome of the Royal Commission with quite a lot of excitement, but government will probably take some time, as they should, to respond thoughtfully to how we go about this. Yeah, and that's a great segue to the Royal Commission. You mentioned that that phrase, which is it's kind of heard a lot, that this is government's responsibility or this idea that it's not the industry, it's the government. Where do you think the, the balance lies there in taking responsibility for the change in, in culture within the industry? Well, they say that a fish rots from the head and, you know, who's the head? In this instance, that, say, normally refers to a board. So, you know, it would be my board. But it's not just that, it's the government. The government has to, you know, I think that what I haven't heard is a vision from the federal government. We haven't heard a, a vision from the Prime Minister about aged care. It's more about, well, let's just listen to what people want so the big question is, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do what the community want. The big question is, though, the industry needs transformational change, not just a few, you know, cosmetic changes. And that's the big, that's the big difference. So we have one commissioner at the moment who is seems to be they could have changed their mind. I don't know. Big, big transformational change, which will take time, change to the Aged Care Act and a whole lot of other things and a lot of money versus maybe just change that's more incremental. So that's a big difference. And I don't think this current government, you know, I haven't, in my opinion, I haven't seen anything that's, you know, any big transformational change happen when I think about some of the other changes that have happened years ago. Mm. So I think that's what we're looking at. But the industry, but the industry need to be ready, um, and I don't think any any government will move unless you know getting aged care or older people as the priority is really important. So there's a lot happening behind the scenes to try and get the community involved and in understanding what some of the issues are. Because if it's not if if people don't rise up and raise it as an issue with their local police, etc., it won't be an issue now. Already we've heard the Prime Minister talk at his um, press club address. He did talk about aged care. Aged care has got up a number of times from different ministers Mm -hmm. and so I think that, and the Prime Minister, so it's looking positive but the industry is not leaving anything to chance. You would probably be aware that there is a big campaign and of seven peaks including the church sectors, so Anglicare Australia is one of them, as is um, Laser. To, and they've hired a very reputable um, campaign company to run a, a national campaign led up to the budget and also if there's an election this year to try and get people to understand in the community that things need to change and what they need to do and try and focus on ageing as an issue for the community, not just for people who work in aged care. Yeah, that's quite a pragmatic response. I wouldn't say it's cynical, but you understand the reality that the government is reluctant to make widespread change. Do you think this will be a, a big election issue coming up in a future election? Well, that's that's what, you know, I mean, so far it's been mentioned a couple of times. Normally aged care would never be mentioned. Hmm. You know, when there was a by-election oh, quite a few months ago in New South Wales, no mention of aged care. So I think... We've just got to, and you know, and look, COVID hasn't helped. And now we've got issues around, you know, unemployment and issues around job seeker payments and housing. You know, we always are competing. So I'm always, I'm always positive, but the providers and others are not just sitting back going, well, let's just, you know, let's just, we've changed, we've actually 
changed our tact in terms of what we used to do. But the providers have got to do what they have to do too, Ash. I mean, they can't sit around and complain. And it's not just about more money because the culture, you asked about the culture. So the culture is also from the organisation and we've got to set that. And that leads from the top. So that's that's about my board and myself and at Benetest we're absolutely ready for it, which is why I've I committed myself when the matter of care was developed and released that I thought I said to myself, okay, I can do lots of things with my time, but actually I'm going to spend time. I'm going to I'm going to commit myself to this work and my team as well. And they're all really keen and they're all involved on different working groups and contributing. They love it because it's part of their personal development to say, you know, we we actually participated on that national group and we we can see where our input is. You're listening to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. We're on a mission to examine ways to improve the quality of care and the quality of life for seniors. And each week, we're bringing aged care industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals directly to you to share their knowledge, stories, and experiences. In season one of the podcast, we delivered thought-provoking and meaningful episodes covering consumer experience, dementia care, palliative care, service transformation, and research and innovation. And we've got plenty more amazing guests lined up for season two. So maybe you'd like to partner with us and have your message showcased directly to our rapidly growing audience of aged care executives and people working within the industry. For advertising inquiries, please email acepodcast at silver, that's S-I-L-V-R, adventures.com.au. Now let's get back to this week's guest. It's interesting that you've brought up the the method for influencing government there is to inspire the community to ask for change as opposed to a direct method. And I know when you were working in local government and, and state government, you've probably, you've probably seen both sides of this as well with lobby groups and peak bodies working directly with the government. Do you feel like this goes beyond the ability of lobby groups at the moment? I think the problem is, is that people will still lobby and, of course, there are some who are concerned that, say, a collection of larger providers who work in the private sector who have a great portion of the beds, you know, will be lobbying government separately mm-hmm. and they will do a special deal. And then you've got the, obviously, you've got the provider peaks and you've also got the consumer peaks and the unions. So it's difficult. But I, I you, you can't stop people lobbying. But I do think speaking as one voice, you know, the divide and conquer, it makes it much easier for government not to do what they need to do if there's lots of people they need to talk to. And that's what we have to stop. That's why the G7's really important. You know, that's why, you know, I would support a one one body as a peak body, as a provider peak, not two lot there are at the moment. Well, moving on now, you've said that uh, you said in an interview with Weekly Source that you think in a couple of years there'll be a lack of residential services in Australia due to issues with investment and COVID. How does this affect the decisions that Benitas is making at the moment? I still stand by that. <laughs> I uh, what we are doing is we are going, we are actually moving slower um, with our residential care new builds where we've made commitments, we're continuing with those, but we're looking at those, obviously making sure that there's a need and we're looking at how we build those. But we'd probably be looking more to upgrade existing facilities or we've just made an acquisition, which will come across in April from another with another ongoing facility. Mm-hmm. Standalones are far more exp- – no, like building a greenfield site is far more expensive. But we will be accelerating – 
our development in retirement living or seniors housing, housing options, looking at continuing care communities where we can, so where we've got retirement living and residential services as well, and then offering home care and allied health, which we do as well. We will be also accelerating our work in community care, community health and care, particularly in the private area, um, so fee-for-service in the home care area, nursing, and also allied health. So they're probably some of the areas that we've reviewed our strategic plan, so we're definitely making some changes. Their technology features heavily technology and also the work that we're doing on our customer experience and staff experience and engagement are really important. So we've got our work cut out for us, but residential services is here to stay. It's just not, our map is quite different now. It's slower and we're focusing on other areas. Obviously, there will be, there'll still be older people who'll need, who'll need a higher level of care that only a residential service can provide. Do you think that for example, a retirement village or other communities, they will be able to fill the hole there or will there be a shortage? So there's lots of really good things in the 124 recommendations that the council assisting made to the commissioners last October, but that for there's lots of good news for retirement village people in terms of, well, you know, people move in when they're much more able and they can age in place, but you need to provide these sorts of services and you need to build the facilities in a certain way. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we know people don't want to go into residential care. There'll always be need be a need for residential care. People are coming in older and frailer and they're not staying as long. We know that. But we need to turn our attention to retirement living, which is what, you know, obviously we are and others are doing. And also looking at specialisation of the residential service that you provide. So whether or not you look at dementia-specific, we're currently looking at the possibility of focusing on a palliative care-only service. So I think the services will be more specialised but they certainly aren't going anywhere because some people just can't, you know, even if the government, even if the recommendations from the commission, you know, actually um, support the payment of someone for a much higher level home care package, it's never going to, I don't think it's going to be enough because don't forget home care, you know, you could be living by yourself. In residential services, it's actually other staff around you. So it's it's that sort of synergy of having, you know, synergy of numbers that you've got, even if you've got eight people in an apartment, you can have one staff member. If you're by yourself, your money doesn't go as far. So I think unless you've got someone assisting you, it's a partnership with, of, with informal care, family, friends, etc. So I think that's always going to be a challenge. And do you think that smaller aged care providers are positioned well to adapt to these changes or do you think that's going to be a challenge for the smaller ones? Some of them will because they're smart. They're smart operators and they've already started to move. They know their market. They know what they want, all that sort of stuff. They've already started to move Mm -hmm. and they are specialising. You know, they're specialising in a particular market. I think that if you just are providing the same as everybody else, you're in an area where there's a lot of competition, um, I think, and depending on how large you are, you see, you know, I mean, we've got, the efficiency of scale and I think being diverse is really important you know we've got we provide all services everything including veterans affairs everything respite I think diversity is a good thing Mm. in this environment I think that with the changes in care packages 
with the funding of care packages starting from February. And, you know, I think there'll be few, there'll be more people getting out of care packages because they won't have the cash flow. So I would never say that small services are dead in the water because some large services are terribly inefficient. Large services can also create inefficiencies. Hmm. I do think that given that I, I don't know the, the stats 100%, but I think that there's something like, you know, 50% of providers of the 3,300 providers in Australia residential care only have one facility. That's, that is not sustainable. Now, many of them are in rural areas, and we all know that different politicians have been successful in supporting that, supporting people. But some of those services are not are not sustainable. So, you know, they need to be looked at whether or not they are provided as part of the local health service, for example, which some of them are. Yeah, you, you raise a good point, which I want to touch on there, that this specialisation may not be possible in more remote or, or rural areas. How do you think care will change out there? Oh, gosh. One of the things I say to when they want to go to rural areas, I just say, well, have a look. Is if, if that's if that's important to you as you age, you need to see what services are there. I mean, I think rural areas for quite some time have been looking at the hub and spoke method, you know, where they've got, you know, where they have outreach services. Where, and, and they've been quite, I mean, you know, I can talk about Victoria, but quite successful in bringing, say, cancer services, oncology services to large, you know, regional hospitals. It's more about those that are in more rural, you know, more remote areas. Mm. And I think that community health is a good, um, more outreach services and community health is the way to go. But, you know, that's where you've got telehealth, telemedicine, some of those things that started to be developed a lot more during lockdown but then you've got the issues of the people that are receiving the services having the right health literacy and sometimes they don't so they don't know what they're looking for and the doctor can't help them if you know so if they're on the other they don't have that basic health health skills so I think that's always going to be a challenge I really do and then of course they've got to get the doctors out you know attract people out to those areas anyhow that's a real challenge attracting doctors out to those remote areas Sandra, what do you see as the the biggest opportunities for growth throughout aged care in this coming year? Certainly home care and allied health, definitely. Mm-hmm. We know that, you know, your, your listeners would have been, would be well aware of the ongoing issues with the number of people on waiting lists. Mm. So I think certainly that those areas, looking at fee-for-service, looking at allied health, they're probably the areas that I would be focusing on looking at whether or not there's anything that your state government's doing that you might want to focus on, like social housing, social housing for older people. In Victoria, there's some opportunities there. How would you link that up with yours? I mean, those people are eligible for all the home care services, you know. And then there, I think there's, a, there's still a whole lot of areas around focusing on early intervention, you know, maintaining health and wellbeing. So we, we do some, some work in that area, like a frailty screening tool and those sorts of things. But any industry, any business that haven't started hasn't started looking at its staff and how it's going to attract its workforce plan, its leadership plan, and its customer experience plan and mapping the journey and you know having customer principles. We've done a lot of work in that area, but we've got a lot more to do. I think you know, they're the foundational skills and the technology. You know, the, the business intelligence, what we do with data, how we use it. They're the sort of foundations of a of a good company going forward. People should be should have already started looking at those areas. Mm. What do you think about staff turnovers within aged care? And, and you're probably in a, a good position as CEO of Benitas to have an overview of this. We have pretty low turnover. 
we know that um, the last stats I saw, which were a couple of years old, that, you know, the turnover was like 25%. Ours is only about 12. That's really high. You know, but it's tied directly. You know, we, we we've got a program of trying to move to only permanent part-time. And if we use casual, they're, they're, they're part of a casual pool. And, of course, with C19, trying to make sure that people only stay at the one facility. Yeah. And, but it is really difficult because most of the staff are part-time and some people want casual work. You know, they're happy to work at a couple of spots. Uh, and that's that's the same with community care. So I think, but I know some providers have much higher turnover. Also quality. I mean, you know, we do, we actually are getting far better at letting people go in their orientation time. Hmm. And we just don't think they're going to make the grade. We've given them all this orientation and induction. They're not the right people. Putting more time at the front end so you don't hire them in the first place. Make sure you attract the right people, but that's but it, it gets back to not attracting the right people, not attracting enough people. Some providers just appoint people anyhow. Hmm. You know, we have a mandatory you must have a cert three in individual support before you're employed. Apart from a program we have where we actually bring people in and train them up, where you know, that's being piloted at the moment. But you know, and I think government will probably move to that at some stage. But we're not, we don't have a huge. You know, it's not like we're advertising to work in a really sexy industry. That's also strategic action number one, and that is, you know, the image of the industry mm. is not good. So if it's not good, then how do you attract people to work in it? Yeah, what, what sort of things do you think would would attract, uh, you know, younger people who are just entering the workforce to come into aged care? Well, the campaign that's going to be rolled out, which I can't talk too much about, but it actually goes to the heart, to the emotions of people and people's values. So it's going to, they're going to really focus on a values-driven choice as to why you would come. Because you're not coming into the industry for the money mm. unless, you, um, unless you're in a, like a management role. But it is about, you know, you make a difference. You know, we have a campaign we are rolling out at the moment about making a difference. You make a difference campaign. What you do matters. Mm. And we're showcasing all the all people across our services in a whole range of areas. So I think it is about that. You want to make a difference. These these people really need you. It's a really different campaign than what the you know the the Australian Defence Forces might use, for example. I think it's I, th- I really hope it's successful because I think it's a really good campaign. But we'll wait and see. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Sandra. Thanks, Ash. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silveradventures.com.au. See you next week.